Hi, listeners. Just a quick note that we actually messed up the trivia today, so we gave the wrong answer. We decided to let it play because we had been talking about the question through the episode a little bit and wanted to let it play for you guys, leave it in the end. Uh, But if you do want the correct answer on the trivia, we'll put that in the bottom of the show notes. Or you can head over to our Twitter at the Barrel MKE where we tweeted out a stat that is the answer to the trivia question recently. So that'll be one of the top tweets there if you want to go there instead. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. What's up, Brewers fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Barrel Banter. I'm your host, Peter Go. David, we made it to the All-Star break. The Brewers are a game behind the Reds after a good uh, finale there in the first half. one nothing win uh, against the Reds with Wade Miley dealing on the mound. And the Brewers go into the, the, the All-Star break at a pretty good spot. Two All-Stars, of course, being represented. And it should be a fun episode today as we go through our first half awards, um, a look at the All-Star game and how MLB could improve the All-Star week. And then also, this is, I think uh, I'm especially excited for this one, what the criteria should be for an All-Star selection, something I have not put any thought to before you uh, pose a question to me. And uh, I feel like it's especially relevant given Corbin Burns' selection as an All-Star, of course, a replacement, but uh, he hasn't exactly been the ace that we've had the last couple of years, and, and he finds himself in the All-Star game. So I'm excited to, to go through these topics here, David. But before we get to that, we've got a, an excellent random player of the day, and who is that today? Today's random player of the day is Willie Randolph. He spent one year with the Brewers as a player. He hit 327 in 1991 when he was a player, and he in 512 plate appearances, he did not hit a single home run. But he did hit 327 with a 424 OBP. I think he may have the record for most plate appearances in a year by a Brewer without a home run. And he's certainly up there in uh, in MLB history, or at least at least maybe the best seasons without a home run. A fun fact about him is, well, he came back to coach for the Brewers. He was Ken Maka's bench coach in 2009 and 2010. When he was the Mets manager, he gave the commencement address at Fordham one day because his daughter was was graduating from Fordham. And then after he finished the commencement address, he went and managed the Mets. They had a night game, so he, he went, I, I guess, I don't know where Fordham is in uh, New York City, but he went from Fordham to Shea Stadium to manage the Mets that day. And his brother, Terry, played for the Packers one year. I think he was a defensive lineman, linebacker. I, I looked it up earlier, but I forgot to write it down. Uh, so I, I didn't know that. It, actually, it's not even on his Wikipedia page. I had to watch some 2018 Yes Network get to know Terry Randolph, or excuse me, Willie Randolph video just to find out uh, a few of those facts. So kind of interesting he is one of the, not the only, but one of a select few who have who've played played for and managed, excuse me, played for and coached for the Brewers. Uh, so a pretty interesting character in Willie Randolph today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, over 500 plate appearances and no home runs. We don't don't we don't see that very often now. We really haven't ever. But um, I guess an impressive feat. And like you said, almost hit 330 that year too. Really good year from him offensively. So Brewers, a pretty good week. We uh, last episode. I think we were mid-Cubs series, so the Brewers ended up, of course, splitting that series um, at home and then winning two out of three from the Reds to keep themselves one game now apart uh, in the first place spot for the Central. Next week, uh, look ahead here. Obviously, we've got the All-Star break, and then the Brewers will actually have three more against the Reds as well. So a couple of injury updates and transactions. Matt Bush, Thomas Pannone were both release, released. Excuse me, Mike Brasso was outrighted. Rowdy Telez to the injured list. And Abner Uribe, who got his major league debut uh, with the Brewers, was recalled. I'm David. I'm assuming you saw the video of of Uribe um, mm-hmm. emotionally calling his parents and letting them know he he made the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think that video actually came out before uh, the before he uh, was called up officially by the Brewers. Um, which which I do have a follow up question. Do you like the call up videos that they have where they'll set up the camera in the manager's office, call in the player, and then record it do you like those videos i i guess they're interesting to me because it's a little bit of a behind the scenes look that you don't get to see most of so as a fan i like it but if i was a player if i was abner uribe do i want people watching me cry talking to my parents on the phone for like 40 seconds i mean it was like i i mean i you could feel the emotion just watching the video so that part was cool but i'm not sure i would love the idea of a minute long video of that. So I don't know. I guess as a fan, yes. If I was the player, I'm not sure I would. What about you? 
I'm I'm kind of in the middle. I think a lot of people love them. Some of them are really good. Some of them are are interesting and they kind of have that right mix of you know they're good enough for video but they're also very authentic but then you have some that just feel kind of staged where when everyone's doing it okay i kind of get tired of of watching them not like it's not a big moment for the player of course or a cool moment for the team if the team is with him but as a fan as a casual outsider i don't know that we necessarily need to have all of them filmed i almost think that there's a little bit of a mystique that comes with your call-up if you don't have it recorded on video yeah it does seem like that's that's almost the case but yeah that is we definitely it's more common at this point but i i do enjoy seeing them just like i said a little bit of behind the scenes look at at baseball players it also reminds you that they're humans as well which i think you forget when we just kind of go matt bush was released thomas panone was released uribe recalled like it's just kind of names on a sheet and uh, you realize that there's people behind that families and years and years and years of of hard work so Congrats to Uribe uh, being called up. Like I said, he did make his debut at the Brewers. The other ones I mentioned, David, Matt Bush and Thomas Pannone being released. Mike Brasso outrighted and routed to the IL. Any other thoughts or any of those jump out specifically to you? Well, Rowdy got the old, got put on the IL with the bad OPS. We've now had Winker was subject to a, a bad OPS um, IL placement. Is he the only one so far? We had... Oh well, Matt Bush, he got a he got put on the the IL with a bad ERA. So we've now had three of them this year, which is is more than usual. I feel like that's usually like maybe one for the year. Uh, uh, supposedly, Rowdy was was having his, his his arm was actually bothering him, acting up a little bit, which is possible. I'm not saying that it, it wasn't. Major leaguers play through injuries a lot, but also, of course, if Rowdy had an 890 OPS, he would probably still be playing every day whether it was DHing or even playing first base with, with some right, right forearm inflammation. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Definitely some form of an injury. We talked about JB Bukaskis's cervical strain, although that one was more legitimate, but more, I guess, comical, mm-hmm. I guess, in some sense. We, but, we actually had some, some big news on JB Bukaskis. So he was optioned out about a week ago, but when Thomas Pannone was designated for assignment and then released, JB Bukaskis changed his number from 36 to 45. Wow. So even though he's in AAA, when he comes back, he will be wearing number 45 instead of 36. So Brewer fans, uh, make sure you purchase your jerseys accordingly. Don't fall for the number 36 J.B. Bukaskis jerseys that they'll be selling in the team store. Make sure you go get your number 45 ones, unless you want the 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 half-priced. You know, maybe we'll get the 36 Bukaskis jerseys at the clubhouse sale in, in oh, December. Yeah. I remember the, the number 51 Wei Chung Wong shirts in the clubhouse sale in 2014. So maybe JB Bukaskis will have the same outdated number uh, jerseys or shirts in the, uh, in the team store. Was it just me? Or, I mean, the Brewers were bad back then. So like our good players were not all that great and our bad players were worse than they are now, but was it me or did they like print like jerseys, shirt jerseys for like everybody on the team? Cause we'd go to the clubhouse mm-hmm. sale and that was back when they'd sell them for a buck. Um, Dave a buck Bush. Apiece. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, Dave Bush was at least a, a back-end starter. Yeah, yeah, but there'd be, I don't, I don't know, like like Wei Chong Wong, he was our worst reliever, basically. Um, and and yet he had shirt jerseys. I don't know. It seemed like... I think because of the personality. You know, kind of like they'll, they'll say, yeah, he's he's not that good-looking, but he's got a good personality. It's kind of like, he's not that good of a pitcher, but he's got a good personality, and that's why you wear his jersey. You know, maybe some people might say yeah. that. Yeah, because I don't see a lot of... Elvis Pagaro shirts coming up no. for uh, UL Piamps probably in the next couple months here. No, but I I do like Pagaro's blue glove. Yep. Nice touch. That is that is nice touch. So let's let's move into our first half awards. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a uh, Pagaro and Piamps involved in that part of the A list bullpen at this point, really. So, David, why don't you explain the uh, the awards we've got um, and uh, the inspiration behind the names for each? Mm-hmm. We've got should have counted beforehand five five awards that we're giving out for the first half four of them are, are good awards one of them is is not a good award not one that you want to win but we've got the mvp which we call the john axford award because axford received mvp votes in 2011 when he had a his 46 save season so that'll be the first one we've got the cy young the jimmy nelson award jimmy nelson received cy young votes in 2017 for that excellent year before he got hurt so we're calling that one the jimmy nelson award we've got the comeback or breakout player of the year. I wanted to expand this one a little bit. 
the Mike Caldwell Award because Mike Caldwell is the only brewer to win a Comeback Player of the Year, whether the official MLB Comeback Player of the Year or the Sporting News Comeback Player of the Year. We've got the biggest disappointment, which we call the Eric Gagne Award, who without a doubt is the most disappointing signing in free agent history. I, I guess Matt Garza's up there. Jeff Supon is up there. We could we could argue about that one, but we're going with Gagne for this one. And then the newcomer, which would be the Adam Lind Award, came in 2015, terrible team, led the Brewers in war, average OPS, really most categories, and he was a newcomer. He was traded the next year, of course, for Freddie Peralta, but uh, we'll give Adam Lind the newcomer award. So we'll start out with the MVP or the John Axford Award. And Peter, why don't you share with us, I think we actually have the same one on this one, so we can spend a little bit each, a little bit of time each talking about uh, the uh, John Axford Award recipient for the first half given by the barrel. Um, and that would be Christian Yelich. That would be Christian Yelich. He is our John Axford Award first half MVP. I feel like when I, when I saw the John Axford Award, I thought there was going to be like a movie reference or something, mm. uh, but that's, but I didn't, I, I forgot he had one that he had some MVP votes. We did, uh, I forgot to mention, Craig Council did finish second in manager of the year uh, for the first half for the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's obviously a given. I, I feel well, like Pat Murphy agree. managed a game when uh, when Council's son graduated. Yep, that, that'll do it. Craig Council in the, in the number two spot, he always seems to find himself there, mm-hmm. even though he's like the best manager pulled by the players. Um, but whatever. Uh, we could have also gone with the... Um, the Jeff Supon award, like you said, or the Matt Garza award, the, the old, the player who's for MVP. No, no, no. For, for the, the, I don't even know what you would call this, but the, the long contract that's overpaid, there would maybe some people would say there would be some people, one player in particular who you could select in that maybe in 2020, 2021, 2022. But uh, this year he is our MVP. That would be Christian Yelich. Who's hitting 278, 384, 456. David, you put out a tweet. Um, I believe it was today or yesterday, comparing Yelich's first half uh, from this year to his first half from 2018. We also discussed that on the pod last week. Uh, but Yelich has been a completely different player. Defense has been elite. Base running is back. Uh, certainly helps with the bases. But what else have you seen from Yelich besides, like I said, returning more closer to at least his 18-19 form? Well, we talked about how he might benefit from the shift restrictions we said he might go from hitting 252 to 268, I think was the, the difference, if the shift wasn't in effect. for uh, th- Those were, of course, some averages that we calculated based on last year's output. But he did still hit the ball hard last year. His expected batting average was a little bit better than his real batting average, which actually is the same this year. He's got a 299 expected batting average, which is better. He's improved his hard hit rate, his barrel rate. Um, but I think partly like kind of alongside benefiting from the shift. He's also gotten his confidence back. He just seems like a different hitter. I think getting the confidence of having a lot of those balls that he hits well fall for hits, it boosts the confidence. Uh, You know, when players are in a slump, they say it's not that you're not hitting the ball or or they don't start by not hitting the ball. They start by having a bunch of hard hit outs. If you think back to Andrew McCutcheon last year, he had that stretch where he hit like 18 hard hit balls all right at fielders. And that's how slumps get going. Yelich had a lot of those over the past two, three years. And now that he's not having that as much, I think that's also helping his confidence at the plate. He's more comfortable. He just looks a lot better as a hitter. And so even though his walk rate has dropped a little bit, he's become a a much better hitter. He's gotten some more power. He's been a little bit more aggressive, but I would say controlled aggression. And he's still been walking a lot. His chase rate hasn't been, been too bad. The steals have been helping. He's staying healthy. The defense is better really all facets of the game. And I think the new rules maybe are the biggest reason for that. We don't know about health. Maybe he's more healthy this year than he was last year or in previous years. Uh, but I think you can look at those those couple factors as probably the, the leading contributors to Christian Yelich's success this year. Yeah, I think I do think that there's got to be some aspect of health and you never really know how much that plays into it. But he looks like a completely different hitter. I remember, like, think about his at-bats in 18 and 19 like you said, the confidence he had up there, the pitches he would lay off, like he looked like a completely different hitter in 20 through 21, or excuse me, through 22. Um, And he seems to just have that presence and confidence uh, up there at the plate that he hasn't had over the last couple of years. I know you had one other hypothesis, uh, David, for for the the lack of production 
in Yelich mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. So why don't you you share that one? We saved the the, the, the more analytical one here for the for the end. yeah yeah. Well, I'm getting really deep into the uh, the analytics. You know, you got to go way down on the Fangraphs page for this one, um, and way deep into Twitter. Uh, but you know, the Madden curse. They talk about mm-hmm. how you know a player goes on the cover of Madden and falls off a cliff, doesn't doesn't perform well the next year, two years later. Well, Christian Yelich was on the cover of the ESPN body issue in late August 2019. Kind of controversial. Um, but since then, I mean, he, he fractured his kneecap two weeks after he appeared in the body issue. And he was on the cover. At least, I don't know if they have multiple covers. But I remember online seeing him on a cover. So he was at least in some capacity on a cover of the body issue. And then over the next three years after he fractured his kneecap, 243 average, 388 slugging. So. Now, I don't know how one breaks the body issue curse. I don't know if there's a, a ceremony that you go undergo for it. I don't know if there's some sort of reverse curse that you, you know, you go on the cover of something else. Maybe, maybe someone else takes it. I guess I don't think they do the body issue anymore. So they, uh, they won't have someone else to take the curse. But I'm just thinking about it as a, as a possibility um, because I think other guys who have been on the body issue, I remember in the past, uh, Jake Arrieta and he kind of fell off and Matt Harvey. So perhaps, True. perhaps Yelich is now breaking the curse, but I, I thought maybe, maybe that's the reason why Yelich fell off a cliff uh, offensively. And, and now for some reason he's back, but that's, that's what was to blame for his struggles. Seems, seems reasonable. Plus we had the, uh, the, the walk up change song, mm-hmm. the walk up the... song change to, to Ro- Roseanne, Ro- Roxanne, Roxanne, Roseanne, I think. Roxanne, mm-hmm. yeah, and the uh, the beloved tweet of relax, Roxanne. That's what I actually thought of. So maybe it was Roxanne, like Roxanne needed to lift the curse. I guess she had the mm. the, cur- the curse of Christian Yelich. That must have must have been, like you said, you got to really scroll down far on FanGraphs and be a supporter of them apparently to get that uh, deep insight, which is why you you come here to hear hear that. So let's let's on that note move to our Cy Young Award or the Jimmy Nelson Award. We're uh, sticking with uh, the same theme here. We've both got the same player. And uh, a pitcher for the Brewers, David. Who is our Cy Young Jimmy Nelson Award winner? We've got both got Devin Williams for the Jimmy Nelson Award recipient, the uh, the first ever Jimmy Nelson Award recipient. Um, I'm thinking maybe should we have different names for our our full season ones? Yeah, I feel like we should we should, and then we can revisit revisit both. That that seems to make sense to me. We can we can go mid-season and half-season there you go <laughs> I, I got you there on that on the sneeze you did <laughs> right yeah we, perfect timing right I, I i quick tossed it up to you so i could mute my mic for uh for the sneeze for those of you who aren't watching uh we haven't we haven't put these out on youtube a while but i think spotify still is them on video uh but anyways williams 189 era this year 20 out of 22 save opportunities that's been huge i know he had that terrible outing in minnesota but like i know it it ma- it doesn't matter at all when you look at ERA or strikeout rate or those kind of things, but I'd much rather have Devin Williams have one outing where he allows five runs and the Brewers lose a two or three run lead, but then he saves all the rest of the games. Then he has six outings where he allows one run each and blows half the saves. Uh, so I think that matters, you know, that win loss record and save or save opportunities are really the only stats where that matters or where, one a one run loss counts just the same as a five run loss. I think I think in in this case that that's been because of that like twenty out of twenty two is is ERA actually I think actually is higher than what I would say his level of performance has been this year. So I think it almost undersells him, uh, and he's been better than that. Yeah, I agree. Not not a whole lot more to add. But he's been first in ERA, third in strikeouts per nine, second in wins above replacement. He's been excellent. And we just sort of take for granted the back end dominant closer that we've had for so so long here in Milwaukee. So our uh, Jimmy Nelson award winner Devin Williams, honorable mention to Wade Miley. He's been outstanding as well through another gem, like I said in that last game of of the Red series. But he's been the Brewers' best starter. His ERA is right at about three, uh, six wins, two losses in his thirteen starts, and he's pitched sixty seven innings. I know he hasn't been healthy all year. But he's pitched 67 innings. We talked about this early on before the season in our season preview. We said, "Hey, if Miley can, you know, we we didn't we we didn't expect him to have a, a three a three ERA, and maybe he won't by the end of the season. But we said if he can give us 100 100 to 120 innings 
of decent pitching, which he's absolutely done. That'd be a huge win for the Brewers. And that was, of course, with the expectation that we'd have a better Corbin Burns and a healthy Brandon Woodruff and all the other, uh, not have a Julio Tehran emergence that we've had. But uh, Wade Miley has been excellent, and he's sort of my honorable mention for the Jimmy Nelson Award. So let's move on to the comeback or breakout player of the year, the Mike Caldwell Award. David, who do you have here for this one? I've got Julio Tehran, three six four ERA so far, and really just two clunkers. He had six straight good starts to begin his Brewers tenure, and then a couple bad ones, but he was picked off of a... I don't know, not the streets because he was a. I think he was in in the AAA Padres uh, on the AAA Padres team, but eight starts, forty seven innings, three six four ERA, and he's kept the Brewers in games in yeah six or seven of his starts. And even though they haven't really come through offensively in his starts, uh, he's been kind of the anti Braden Looper in that regard uh, without providing the run support. But he's been he's been very good for the for the team. I think you have to look at the expectations a little bit. This is someone that has pitched five innings or had pitched five innings over the previous two major league seasons. He comes back and and shoves. I mean, he went, he had, I think, a sub two ERA after his first six starts. So even though he had a couple that weren't great, he still has been really, really good and really dependable for a rotation that's needed that that depth and needed the the innings to be eaten up by Tehran, by Colin Ray or, or some of these arms with Woodruff out, with Burns and Freddie not pitching up to their capabilities. And Tehran stepped in and done as good of a job, if not better than you could have asked. Yeah, absolutely better than you could have asked. And you think about the role he's filling this year was essentially the role Jason Alexander filled last year. And we saw the uh, results that he put out last year, which isn't a necessarily a knock at him, but it's it's more or less the, the kind of pitcher that he is and what we expected from Tehran. So he's been He's been outstanding. I thought there was really two breakout players or come two really two breakout players, I guess, or comebacks players of the year here for the Brewers in the first half. One being Tehran, the other being Yoel Piamps, who has been, like I said, part of that A-list bullpen with Williams and Piguero. He's at a 1.91 ERA, 47 strikeouts in 42 innings, 16 holds. He's uh, second only to Hobie Milner with 40 games out of the pen, 42 and a third innings pitched. And he's the only pitcher on the Brewers with a sub one whip. So Piamps has been really good. He settled into that eighth inning role. You wonder where the bullpen would be with Strzelecki pitching the way that he did, Matt Bush pitching the way that he did. We thought those were our seventh and eighth inning guys going into the year. We, we, we've lost both, but we've managed to replace them with Piguero and Piamps. And, and Piamps has been really, really good. Sub two ERA, like I said, uh, across 40 games so far this year. So he's my comeback or breakout player of the year award. Um, Eric Gagne award is our next one. Kind of the, the real downer of the episode, I guess. Um, I'm going with Jesse Winker. Um, I could pull out all the stats for you. He's got one home run. CC Sabathia hit better than him in 2008. Um, half a million people have viewed that tweet, believe it or not. I was thinking about that, uh, which I don't know the internet, you know, <laughs> um, but what, I, like 12, I, 12 uh, AmFam Fields stadiums full of people. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, they're probably, you know, they were at AmFam Field for seven seconds to read that tweet and then they left. It's probably and, what happened. And probably six of them were bots. Six. True. Were well, bots. maybe they were the no shows that counted in the ticket count. There we go. That's. Uh, that's so the there's the parallel, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Winker's been terrible. I could go and find stats for you. I don't know what his average is exactly. I know he's slugging like 238, something like that. Uh, but Winker's been terrible. We don't really need to to dwell on that for too long. Matt Bush would have also been a, a good candidate for this award. Uh, but Winker's who I'll go with because he's been given more playing time and had a, a little bit higher of expectations. Yeah, I mean, there, unfortunately, there's a lot of options here to, to choose from, I feel like. Yeah, Rowdy. Yeah, I know. That's who I was thinking about selecting was rowdy i i didn't even obviously winker as well i thought about um but i didn't even think about matt bush because of him being gone at this point he also could have fit freddie even could have yeah a lot of disappoint a lot of disappointing uh, i'm gonna go with a little bit of a controversial one here who was just named to the all-star team but yet is my uh, pick for the biggest disappointment that'd be corbin burns burns with an era around 402 k's and 107 innings I mean, he's been all right for like a sub four ERA with 107 innings pitched in the first half isn't bad, but we've also had 
the Corbin Burns of, of 2021 and 2022, of course, a Cy Young winner. And I would say I am disappointed with him partially also because the rotation has been so bad compared to, or as far as especially the, the big three key arms Woodruff, of course, primarily has just been out. Freddie's been, like you said, not very good, bad more so. And now's the chi- now's the time where you need your ace to step up. And we really haven't had that from Burns. He's had flashes of excellent outings, but he really hasn't been able to have the same level of consistency that he's had the last couple of years. And uh, that's the reason for my pick as the biggest disappointment for the first half. Well, mark my words. I think Corbin Burns is going to be one of the five best pitchers in the NL in the second half. I think he's due for a stretch like that. Of course, we all hope he is, but I, I think he is. You think the Woodruff coming back has anything to do with that? Maybe because Burns is asked to do more. I mean, Burns has, has eaten up innings. He's on about a, about a 200 inning pace. It always helps when you've got two arms at the front and where Burns doesn't feel the pressure of having to deliver, where then he's more likely probably to deliver. I don't know that, you know, people might say the arbitration case. I don't think that, I don't really think that's it. I agree. I think I, I think he was just due for some regression. He's had two excellent years, and well, I mean, really three if you count twenty twenty. But I think he do he was due for some regression. He always had he had really good starts the last couple of years. So I think I think this year is just he doesn't seem quite as good, but he still seems very good. So I I, th- I think he's due for a big second half, and I think it's coming. All right, there you have it. So our newcomer Adam Lind Award. Here, David, I've got uh, another bullpen arm. We've talked about him a lot so far in this episode. Elvis Piguero, 11 holds, ERA right around three. Like you said, also has a bright blue glove, rocks the do-rag under the hat as well. But he's been really good. And uh, I mean, the Brewers certainly have needed him and Piamps in the seventh and eighth, like I said, with Strzecki uh, out and Matt Bush out. So he stepped into a huge role. And you kind of forget he was acquired by the Brewers in the Hunter-Renfro trade. You look, lot, you look at the Brewers outfield and the offense production that they've had. And of course the injuries to Mitchell and, and Taylor and others. Um, it sure would have been nice to have Hunter Renfro's bat in the lineup this first half of the year, but Elvis Peguero was really, really good. And of course, much cheaper than Hunter Renfro, which of course I think would make the Brewers front office and Mark Antanasio happy, but Peguero has been a really good find and, and we'll see, maybe he sticks around for a couple of years, but he's been really good. Um, I think probably we, we know who, would be the the true newcomer of the year in terms of offensive output. Um, but as far as expectations go, I think Piguero has been excellent. And that's the reason for my selection as the Adam Lind award of the first half year. Mm-hmm. And I picked the obvious one, William Contreras, of course, the improved defense. That's been a topic of conversation over really the course of the entire year, but especially early on, he's also got a seven seventy three OPS, which is pretty high ranking among catchers he's played most of the games and mostly catching a little bit of dh too but mostly catching he's been i think i think if if you said he was about this as a hitter and he was similar defensively to what he was in atlanta you'd say okay we'll take that for uh the price of Esturi ruiz uh, but this plus the 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 greatly improved defense i'll take that out of out of any catcher and uh, the brewers have Contreras for five years now I think it's also easy to forget last year he wasn't even in the majors a full year. So this is really actually his first true full season in the major leagues. He's pretty young still. I think he's 24, 25. So you factor those in. And I think what he's doing is even a little bit more impressive than, uh, than it seems on the surface. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been the Brewers second best hitter in the first half of the year. And like you said, he's been a good defensive catcher and we thought that was going to be a big weakness that he had. I mean, I, I think a, a 700 OPS, he's at 773, I think a 700 OPS with improved defense would have been absolutely something the Brewers would have take, taken because you didn't know. I mean, like you said, this is really his first full season. So you you don't know exactly if you're going to have the Keston Hero effect or the sophomore slump. That was a possibility, and we really haven't seen that. I, I saw it, he had a ball, I think 113, 114 miles an hour um, in that Reds game three of the series, absolutely tore the cover off the ball, back-to-back at-bats. So he, I think he's proven himself that he's legit and uh, uh, an amazing trade for the Brewers to, to flip mm-hmm. Stewie Brewies for him. Everybody still no idea how that, that happened, but it, it seems like a win more or less a win for everybody. Sean Murphy, all-star Stewie Ruiz leading all of baseball and stolen bases. Like, I mean, kind of, I, I mean, Ruiz has been, 
okay because he's been a below average hitter, terrible fielder, and stolen a bunch of bags. I didn't realize he was a bad defender. You yeah, he actually is. Translate. He's last in defensive runs saved of any outfield. Hmm. Uh, well, any I think any fielder, but he's a center fielder. But he's not. He he was an infielder until maybe two years ago. They converted him, kind of like Billy Hamilton. They saw someone that was just an okay infielder who was really fast. They said maybe he could play outfield. I know scouts were kind of divided about whether he was a future center fielder or not, and it kind of seems like he's not. Uh, at least based on the metrics, I haven't spent really much yeah. time watching Ruiz beyond that dreadful series against Oakland. Uh, the Brewers yeah. dropped all three. So I, I don't know if I'd say win, win, win. The A's haven't had a lot of wins. Um, they actually, A's drafted a center fielder in the second round yesterday, a guy that I played with a couple of years ago, Ryan Lasko from Rutgers. Uh, so he's he's pretty good. I, I mean, I don't know if he'll be in the big leagues next year, but he's... A decent hitter, better fielder than he is hitter. Uh, really good throwing arm. So, uh, so maybe he's the future in in center. I don't know if there Ruiz is the future in center for Oakland. Not, the the A's don't really have a future though. So no, they don't. Well, don't, so who's you don't better? Worry about that. Yeah, right. Who 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 would you take in center? I guess for this season or for the next couple of years. I guess well, let's two questions. Who would you rather take in center this year, and who would you rather take in center the next couple of years? Joey Weimer or Estuary Ruiz? Weimer for sure. I assume, are you talking defensively or overall? Overall. Overall, I, I would take Weimer because Weimer's been similar as a hitter to Ruiz. Ruiz got a higher batting average, but a little bit less power. Um, Weimer's a good runner. I mean, he's got 11 steals so far. Ruiz has 44 or something. So, I mean, Ruiz is clearly a better runner, but Weimer's been a better defender too. And I think going forward that Weimer's got more upside. I think Ruiz... Ruiz might have a year like his his upper like very top of his his possible success his ceiling I think is D Gordon in his prime that kind of player where he he just hits a bunch of singles steals a lot of bags and plays okay defense uh, I think Weimer's Weimer's ceiling certainly is quite high I don't know if he'll reach his ceiling but I think Weimer's kind of like he's more likely to be a 225 hitter but one that walks a good amount, hits 25 home runs a year, steals 20 bags a year, and plays excellent defense and center. And that's a much more valuable player than the Estuary Ruiz that we're describing. Yeah, we were 12, 12 dingers already on the year. So it could be a, a 20 home run season. True. Yeah, he could go 2020. It'd be kind of the most unheralded 2020 season <laughs> since Keon yeah. Broxton. <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. So let's... Let's move on from our uh, mid-season award ceremony here to shift gears to the All-Star break. Of course, as we're recording this here Monday, the Home Run Derby is actually just about to start. And uh, we wanted to look at how MLB could improve the All-Star week and the game itself. Current schedule looks like the Futures game, seven-inning game on Saturday with the Celebrity Softball game to follow. Uh, Sunday, the first two rounds of the MLB draft, which we, of course, saw. Monday, the Home Run Derby. And then Tuesday, the All-Star game. So... David, let's let's first start off with what is the best event at the All-Star festivities? There's obviously a lot of them. And and no, you can't pick the celebrity softball game because I know that's where you were going. But uh, what what's the best event at the All-Star uh, festivities? I kind of think it might be the Futures game. I would say, well, I, so I would say the draft. I find the draft the best part of the All-Star game right now. But I don't think the draft should be during All-Star weekend. So I would, we can talk about what we'd change about it. But I would say the the futures game maybe proportionately. You know, I I'd probably be more likely to watch the actual All Star game than the futures game, uh, but so would most people. But I really like the futures game, and I think there are some ways they should improve the futures game. But I do really like the futures game. Yeah, and uh, Jacob Mizorowski, uh threw what eleven of the twelve fastest thrown pitches during the game. He topped, I think, one, did he top 102 or something, something like, like that? that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he definitely showed out. Hefferson Cuero, I believe, had, I think he had a multiple hit game. Uh, unfortunately, Churio 0 for 4 in that game. But uh, yeah, a couple of couple of notable brewers and Mizorowski certainly has been um, on the rise as far as within the Brewers farm system. And he, even it seems like he is starting to get a little bit of notice when you throw 102 in the Futures game. I, and I think he might... I should have looked this up. I think he struck out the side. I could be wrong. I know he had a scoreless inning. He might have. His slider was disgusting. I mean, it was like 91 yeah. with hard break. 
uh, depth and lateral movement. I mean, yeah, that'll play. Uh, he could be a yeah. major league reliever right now. I'm pretty confident about that. Hmm. But he's he's still really young, correct? Uh, he's my age. He's 21. So he was okay. he was a sophomore last year, JUCO at uh, Crowder College in Missouri. He was actually right. committed to LSU. So if he didn't get picked as high as he did and given an overslot bonus, he was going to head to LSU, and it would have been Paul Skeens and him facing college hitters with Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan and Tommy White. Uh, that would have been, I mean, already was quite the roster. They won, they won the the, the national championship without him. But, uh, but that would have been interesting. And and think about that guy though, Mizorowski being a, if Mizorowski were a pick this year, top five. I mean, he could be. I mean, if he was, yeah. I mean, if he developed the same way and he was topping 102 with a wipeout slider as a righty, yeah. I mean, as a big six seven. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think mean, about Skeens is a big. I mean, Mizorowski's a little bit skinnier, but compare Mizorowski to Skeens right now. Skeens, of course, went number one overall to Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, but Skeens is about he sits like 97 to 99 up to 102. Sometimes Skeens will sit like 99 100. Mizorowski typically in his starts will sit like six to nine, 96 to 99. Uh, and they've both got plus plus sliders um, and developing changeups. I think Skeen's changeup might be slightly better. Skeen's command might be slightly better. But Mizorowski's got a little bit more size and a little bit more deception and extension. So Skeen's might be the better prospect, but I don't think Mizorowski's much behind him. And I I mean, Skeen struck out 200 batters first time a college guy has done that in, I think, about 15 years. I think Mizorowski easily could have struck out 200 in, in college this year. Yeah, as long as he got the volume of, of innings. Yeah, I could see that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and we'll have a full breakdown of the MLB draft next week uh, once that's uh, completed. And and yeah, we'll go through the, the Brewers selections. But you think about the Brewers, uh, Mizorowski and Churio, like, fast fast on the rise going from prospects that nobody had as brewer as brewer fans you knew maybe you knew the names uh, Mizorowski a little bit more because of the recency in the draft but you knew the names but they have surged like none other I mean RCS surged as a prospect but they the, yeah these two have absolutely surged so anyways quick- saying Churio will be the starting center fielder in the all-star game in 2031 then why do you say that because RCA finally is having his breakout in 2023 now Seven That's eight true. years after he was a top ten prospect, yep, batting ninth, batting ninth, got the uh, the old ninth spot in the in the lineup, but he made it, and he's mm-hmm. hitting over three hundred. So who cares? So, anyways, yeah, hopefully Churio's not an all star for the Braves in twenty thirty one, but uh, yeah, we'll see. How about the home run derby? I'm surprised you said the futures game, frankly, as as your pick for your favorite. I I would probably go with the home run derby. I I think I tend to watch that more than the all star game. Although I I, I do most enjoy people do, yeah. I mean, is is the Home Run Derby the best all-star event or festivity in all sports? I think it might be because the MLB All-Star Game is far and away the best all-star game in sports. I mean, NFL doesn't even have a game anymore or it's two-hand touch or something. NBA All-Star Game, kind of boring. You know, you'll get some nice flashy dunks, but it's not really a true game, especially until the last five minutes or whatever they do that mm-hmm. little thing at the end. The NHL All-Star Game, the final scores are like 11-8. So they're not the best. Uh, And MLB is far and away, but yet the MLB All-Star Game is kind of overshadowed by the Home Run Derby. I think you'd probably compare the Home Run Derby and the the dunk contest or the three-point contest. Yeah. Like the three-point contest is still pretty good. The problem with the dunk contest is it's like, you know, Mac McClung is the, the winner. Uh, nothing against Mac McClung or or his uncle, but <laughs> it's a little more interesting when Pete Alonso wins or or you know Aaron Judge only participated once. But if you get someone like Judge, you get someone like Stanton, and those are the guys that that are really the draw. I mean, if I think the dunk contest would be much bigger if LeBron were participating, if Giannis were participating, if you had some of those big names uh, that would that would really create a draw for the, the dunk contest, even if the dunks weren't quite as good. MLB kind of needs that, but they also do get pretty good players. I would say at least four of the eight will be average yeah. or better. Uh, yeah, excuse no, me, the- not average or better. All-star caliber or better players, whether they're not, whether they're truly all-stars or not. But 
Uh, they, they do get a pretty good field, and that would improve it if they got Trout and Otani every year instead of Adelise Garcia and Arena, who are very good players in their own right, but not the same draw that, that some of the superstars get. Yeah, no, that's a good point about the dunk contest because I, I think the dunk contest has more potential, but it seems like it's it's hit or miss too. You have like really good dunk contest years, and then you have other years that you're like, I I could have, mm-hmm. you know. It's also past it. its prime a little bit because you got to have the creativity, but when there have been so many times that they've done the dunk contest, like you kind of just get, it gets old. And yeah, so no. in like the three contests, you don't got you don't have to innovate, but the home run derby or the home run derby, you don't have to either, but the dunk contest you do. I wouldn't be surprised if more people watch that NBA night when they've got three point contests and dunk contests than the home run derby. But I think the home run derby is probably a little bit more interesting. Uh, of course, we have a little bias, but I, I think the home run derby is a little bit better than that. I don't really know what would be a better event in another sport. Yeah. Well, what what other what other skill events would you like to see then in baseball that could mirror the home run derby and perhaps include the likes of uh, of, of guys like Asturi Ruiz or guys who have really high skills uh, on certain things or or I'm trying to think of a, an outfielder with a cannon for an arm, um, but what would what would be some of those skill events that you could see MLB maybe not could, you could see but that you'd like to see MLB add to the festivities well to borrow a few ideas in Korea they have the bunt derby where they try to bunt it onto the use me onto the little targets along the third and first baseline maybe for one year i don't think we want to make that a regular occurrence at the all-star game martin maldonado he would be a good guy to to start out with you know he might be like a eight-time bunt derby champion becomes a, a legend in his own right of bunting, uh, which he which he should be because he's an excellent bunter. Uh, they used to have a skills challenge, actually, where the the other skills challenges would lead up to the home run derby. I remember watching old film of, like I think it was in 88, and they had the bat control challenge. And they're like, and Wade Boggs comes in for the bat control challenge. This event seems like it was made for him. They've got like this dude throwing BP and Wade Boggs just takes like a little swing and Boggs hits a ground ball and goes right through the target down the third baseline, a ground ball right into, and that'll be a hundred points for Boggs. Uh, and he was just doing that around the field, peppering the ball. And it was very entertaining to watch. I will admit. Um, I don't think that implementing that would be very entertaining to watch nowadays, other than just for the kind of the kind of ironically the, for the joke of it. The golden arm, I think we both played that tournament in Cooperstown. That's what they would call it, where you'd you go to center field, try to hit the target on a fly from from center. I think that one would be interesting, but I don't know that you do that every year. Um, I think what would be the most interesting to have an event, though, added to the game would be an old timers game. I think it would be cool to see the legends uh, see you know, Robin Yount and Paul Molitor suit up again for the Brewers, see Cal Ripken Jr. or uh, or I don't know. the The pitching is always a problem. Yeah, it's always a problem. But yeah, slight issue there. You get Greg Maddox. He could probably get out still at the big league level, uh, throwing seventy eight well, miles an hour. Don August. Yeah, he threw me out a couple times. Land Lakes uh, league legend. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he pitched he was in fifty seven. Yeah, he was in his fifties, and he was still he was still in the seven. He's still pitching in the seventies. Um. So I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, I don't know who that would be, a forty or fifty year old. Hall of Fame veteran can probably hit 72 straight, oh, straight down the middle easily. Yeah. But it, it would it would be kind of fun. I, I don't know if the players would want to get out there depending on their uh, Maybe. physical fitness level. Well, some well. of them participate in the the softball game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike Cameron was in it. Brett Boone. Um, Raleigh Fingers has been in it. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's kind of boring, though. It's like I remember like 10 years ago we were watching it and whoever was pitching throws it up. And Paul Molitor hits a ground ball through the hole for a single. <laughs> like, and Paul Molitor with just like he used to always do, it punches a single. And it's just kind of boring. I feel like in baseball, it'd be a little more interesting. Um, have you seen that video of Luke Appling in like 1979 or something? He was like 72 years old and he hit like a 350 foot home run. Yes, I have seen it. It's been a long time since I saw that. But yes, I have seen that. And it's insane. So maybe we get some more moments like that, um, but that would be that would probably be my idea. Oh, actually, no, I, I take that back. My my best idea I think I have would be the Velo Derby, 
where you either have it be pull downs where it's a running start and you throw it as hard as you can, or you have a pitcher uh, on a mound and you just have Jordan Hicks trying to rip off as fast of fastballs as you can and see who can get the highest. No way that the teams would sign off on it uh, because the injury rate of players just trying to throw gas, throw like 10 pitches at 102 would be a, a little bit high, especially not in a game environment. But I think that would be very entertaining as a fan. I actually, you know, what would be even more entertaining is they would have that velo competition or, or velo derby, but no pitchers. So only position. Players oh, that would be fun. Do it. And like Joey Weimer's on the either on the hill mm-hmm. or or you could do a, a, a running start. But I, I think I'd actually be more interesting to see position players on the mound. I would like I mean, again, they're never yeah. signing off on that, but it would be that would be yeah. good. Or do you think a pitcher's home run derby would be fun? You'd probably have it depends on who you'd get because you'd probably have some of the mad bums and the CC Sanathias uh-huh. and the Zach Grinkies who would be legit, and then you'd maybe have I don't know what a what a bad hitting pitcher be willing to go out there and embarrass themselves. It depends on the guy, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I that's probably I, what I could see honestly. I think how I would do it is I'd take all of our ideas because of course our ideas mm-hmm. are, are just excellent. But I, I would take all of our ideas and then I would just rotate them once a year. So. Uh, maybe not include all of them, Bunt Derby. That would be, yeah, but that'd be even like a, yeah, even like a, that you had down like a, perhaps a race or a 60 yard dash. Like, I think that'd be interesting, but like you do it for a year, then you switch to the Bunt Derby. You do the golden arm, Velo Derby around the horn. Yeah. That was a, that was one uh, in Cooper Cooper's sound throw it around the horn as fast as possible, which nobody does in the major leagues, obviously. What there. about who can throw the most 86 mile an hour, two seam fastballs painted on the outside corner? That would be that. That could be an option. You know well. what they say? I don't know what they I say. Don't. They win. No, I, they I, win I, ball. I what? <laughs> the best. The best pitch is the located, well located fastball. There we go. That's what they always there say. There we go. We'll we'll end the segment on on that uh, wise quote there from David and and move to our final topic here. The criteria for all star selections, which I I said I'd be coming back to because of Corbin Burns as my biggest disappointment pick or Eric Gagne award. So of course Burns was not one of the best pitchers in the first half. Like I said, four ERA. I don't know. Wade Miley had a better ERA. Granted, thirty less innings, so I can see the case for for Burns. But there's been, a, regardless, there's there's a lot a lot of other pitchers that are better than Burns in the first half. So, do you look at the All Star selection and should it be looked at as basically who played the best for the first three months? Should it be, you know, should there be a clutch factor on on big games? Should it be the last year from the last All-Star game where you're looking at things? Or does it, you know, do you look over the last three years and their name? I feel like there's a lot of question marks. And, and how would you look at it, David? What is the clutch factor? Well, certain players tend to, to show up in big games. So you see them. Mm. So if, like if, if, if the famous if Burns, factor. Yeah, the famous factor. or But like, or even more, I think with, with what, what would provide more value for the player, um, if Corbin Burns throws eight inning, an eight inning shutout, or let's just go complete game. He, he throws a complete well, game. Well, no, because Council took him out because he had 97 pitches. You're right. Thank you. Eight, there we go. Eight, eight innings from Burns. Eight shutout innings uh, from Burns against the, whatever, I was going to say Miami Marlins. I'm, I'm still used to the Mar- Marlins being the laughing stock. The Oakland A's. Um, or if Burns throws eight scoreless against the Braves. Um, and, and obviously later in the season versus earlier in the season, like those, that, that to me, his ERA is still four, but if he has that eight inning shutout against the Braves or he has the eight inning shutout against the A's, that type of thing. Sure. I mean, I think we're maybe we'll, we'll back up a little bit before yeah. we get to that. I think, well, like I think Mad Bum in 2014, so he had that amazing postseason run. He could have been terrible in the first half and I still would have wanted him in the all-star game because he earned that all-star spot the previous year. Now, I don't think that most all-star spots are are won the previous year, uh, but I think some of them are. Um, I, I, I wouldn't totally say it should just be who had the best first half. I think that should matter a lot. That should probably be the, the top of the criteria is who was the best in the first half of this year because you're looking to try to get the best players that year, but you're also just looking to try to get the best players. I mean, if you ask me who is a better player and who is a bigger draw. We'll, we'll, we'll say who is a better player, JT Realmuto or Jonah Heim. Well, Heim has had the better year. Heim is an all-star in the AL. Realmuto is not an all-star in the NL, but he's not an all-star. But we all know Realmuto is a better player. 
who would you rather see in the all-star game though? I'd rather see JT Realmuto. I like those stories of having the, the, uh, you know, this guy made an all-star team after toiling around in the minors for six years. Uh, but, but also, I mean, would you rather have Corbin Burns or Justin Steele in the all-star game? I think Burns is, you know, Burns is a better pitcher. Burns is someone you'd rather see. And the all-star game is kind of the showcase for major league baseball, where if you keep getting the, whoever had the burst, the best first half, you know, we get Jeff Locke in, in the all-star game or Brian LaHare and Michael Lorenzen. Uh, are those really guys that you want showcasing the game of baseball? Nothing against them. I mean, of course, good players. They, they've earned all-star selections, but I don't know they that have. it should be. I don't know that Michael, it should Michael be. Michael Lorenzen? Well, maybe not, not, not totally. <laughs> yeah, to some degree. I mean, he didn't maybe all the way earn an all-star game selection, but he still earned the right to be in the conversation, I suppose. Because he's on the Tigers. Uh, maybe. I guess, yes. He, so, he, he earned it. So I would, say, I would say that the top criteria should be first half performance, and then the next criteria should be over the previous year, so like over 2022, how good was that player? And especially focusing on the second half, like since the All-Star game. And then I would say the the third thing is either the big moments or the level of fame that the player has or the excitement that he brings to the game. That should be the third the third uh, criteria. Criterium. Is that right? Singular version of criteria? No idea. Criterium. No idea. It sounds right. Does it? Well, the other the other part I think that you got to look at too is I, I, the the rookies that that make the All Star game because that's also exciting when you have a new mm-hmm. budding star like Corbin Carroll for example an All Star this year like what are your thoughts on on having a designated rookie on the roster or like a designated former or not necessarily even former player but retiring player like they did in the past like what are your thoughts on on having that as a staple for every single year I would I, I wouldn't want them to have like four designated spots that are added on to the roster but I, I would be in favor of having one extra spot that the, I mean, it'd probably be the commissioner, um, but that (laughs) someone can denote for a notable player. So it could be a retiring player, some sort of legend, you know, they did that with Pujols and Cabrera last year and Cabrera didn't, I mean, obviously neither of them were all-star level players, Well, Pujols was in the second half, but Cabrera wasn't an all-star level player. Isn't this year. Now I'd rather see Cabrera than Lorenzen in the all-star game. But I think if you had one spot in each team for either a rookie or a veteran who's retiring or or some sort of legend, I think that would be a good compromise where like Miguel Cabrera has earned the right to play in as many all-star games as he's wanted as he, as he wants, because even though Mitch Garver may have a better year than Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera has that appeal. He's got the pass. I mean, he's, he's earned every right to it. Uh, there might be a little bit of bad blood if, if there's a rookie that takes some veteran spot. Uh, but at the same time, the rookie is exciting. Ellie De La Cruz, there's been a lot of talk about whether Ellie De La Cruz should be in the All-Star game, not based on his performance necessarily, but because of the excitement he would bring to the game. And I certainly think there'd be something to be said about it, but I wouldn't want Ellie De La Cruz to take the place over someone who's played the whole year. Um, Orlando Arcia is more deserving over this year and the past year for an all-star game selection than Ellie De La Cruz. But I also think it'd be good for baseball to have Ellie De La Cruz in the all-star game. Yeah. And, and rosters are, are already too big in my opinion, 32 currently. How many would you do? Tone that down. I feel like, well, you've got the replacements too. So that's, that's the other piece to it. It's really not 32. So I well, would almost bake in that, that, that fact. Yeah, I would agree with that because we usually end up having about 40 on each team because of the replacement, especially with the pitchers. Uh, but how many do you need to play the actual game? I mean, we're not going to have Bob Feller go seven innings again. Um, no. Like, do you want one pitcher every inning? I mean, yeah, I, I think it's fine to do that. But I, I would I would say you could easily have the roster cut to 28. And like you said, there's usually like eight replacement players. So you then you've got 28 players on the roster You've got 36 all-stars on each side, plenty of players who are denoted as all-stars, and e- you can easily run the game as a manager with 28 players. Um, just so would you have 32 actually in some ways easier. I would think. you have a backup at every position? Yeah, you could have a backup. Yeah, the back, only thing you'd run I mean, into then team. is if you have, because then you got nine spots offensively, so 18, and then nine pitchers. So I guess one alternate 
Yeah, one alternate pitcher in case someone gets into trouble. Or a two-way. Yeah. You could do that. A utility guy. You have a utility spot. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I don't know. I like having... It's always fun, of course, when you got a guy on your team who makes the All-Star game. Uh, but I'm not a huge fan of having the the big rosters. And actually, that kind of leads me into the my final question for you here. The one-per-team rule. We talked about Michael Lorenzen being on the Tigers. Tigers needed an All-Star. We looked at that. At, at their roster and they didn't really have anybody who was deserving based off their first half performance, but Lorenzen was selected. What do you think about the one per team rule? Is that good for, for baseball? Is that fair? What do you think? Well, I get why they do it because they don't want to eliminate an entire market from watching the all-star game because they don't have a player in it. So I understand the practical nature of it, but I don't like the rule. I mean, we don't need to see Michael Lorenzen in the all-star game. And there's always at least one or two guys like that where it's like, oh, well, they had to have an all-star, so I guess we're going to put this guy in. I mean... Dan Kolb? But I think there actually were two all-stars. Well, Turnbow was an all-star when... I think... No, uh, Carlos Lee, I think, made it that year. Cordero made it. Hmm. Or no, well, they were never... Not not Lee, but uh, Cordero made it. Hardy made it that year. I think Dan Kolb made it with Carlos Lee. So they actually Hmm. weren't, weren't the lone selection, but there are... Usually, yeah, like two guys, three guys uh, that that shouldn't probably make it, but do because of the rule. And uh, to me, I mean, if if someone else is more deserving, you shouldn't take away a spot from I, I don't know who's a snub in the Wander Franco because Michael Lorenzen's team is bad, right? Or Christian Yelich. I mean, Yelich. Mm-hmm. Yellow tie. I, I would consider him a snub, but mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I would but... too. I'm just talking about an AL player. What do you, what do you think about yeah. putting a former player on the roster, of like mm-hmm. Jacob Degrom coming in throwing 98 and now pinch hitting Chipper Jones? <laughs> That'd be kind of funny, actually. I mean, it it pretty much would have to be a hitter. Um, True, but I mean, it, I guess I guess that wouldn't. I guess that would be kind of fun if that <laughs> that happened. Um, it'd probably have to be someone more more recent, like Chipper. Or someone. I mean, Chipper's been retired for eleven years now. Believe it or not. True. But true. I, but he's what? So late. He's probably a. What, he's fifty. I late think. Late forties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> you you probably don't want Luke Appling coming up this late <laughs> in his seventies. <laughs> probably not. Well, uh, I I remember in I was watching like the seventy five All Star Game or something back when everything was shut down a couple years ago. Uh, so they were rerunning like every possible sporting event. Yeah. And it was like the seventh inning. Carl Yastrzemski's like 42 years old and he pinch hits. And he, he comes out in his hat because he was grandfathered and he didn't have, didn't have to wear a helmet. Comes up in his hat, no batting gloves. First pitch, hits a three-run bomb, walks around the feet, or runs around the bases, steps on home plate, and they lift him. He's done for the game. Uh, <laughs> I thought he wasn't retired yet, but I think it was among his last years. And yeah. I thought that was just kind of a kind of a funny moment. I Obviously, they're never going to put a former player in the All Star game, but I think it'd be it'd be kind of funny uh, if they if they did that, especially with baseball because baseball is very big on on tradition and and honoring the past and the the legends of the game. Right. Well, I mean, plus it's a little bit a little bit more feasible to take one at bat as a forty five year old retiree. You know, Jeff Bagwell comes up or whatever. Craig Biggio, he's probably up there too. Mm-hmm. But it's more feasible to have one at bat. Um, and they, they might at least put some swings on the baseball. Maybe they'll make some contact mm-hmm. contact. Whereas like you put, you know, a 45 year old or I don't know, you put Shaq out on the NBA court and have him yeah. go against Jokic. I mean, it, that's not super entertaining. What about, what about a celebrity? No, I'm not saying like put some guy that's never played baseball, but like, what if they had Russell Wilson or what if they had, I'd say you know, stick, the, stick Patrick to the, Mahomes the softball game. Okay. Stick to the softball game for those guys. I, I would say because that that to me, you, I mean, maybe they're just as competitive as as Chipper Jones would be, but but Chipper has more, like you said, the honor and the tradition. Especially, oh, here's what you do: oh, you manager. Have, no, no, you don't. Have Craig Council pinching, no. pinch hitting off Josh Hader. <laughs> no, that would be actually kind of Jason Lane. Yeah, pinch hitting. <laughs> yeah, hits a homer uh, off of uh, yeah Quinton Torres Cost. I wonder what he's up to. There we go. I, I I was wondering who that pitcher was. No, you know what you do. You have the one legend come back who's the hometown guy. So mm. Ken Griffey Jr. comes mm-hmm. up to bat. That would be pretty iconic, actually. That would be. Um, 
So whoever is at home, whoever hosts, get to have one one guy, one legend. But that's um, a lose lose for the pitcher. It but it's a win absolutely. for the fan. So it's a <laughs> that's what matters. It's a a lose. And is it a win for Ken Griffey Jr.? I mean, it's kind. Of, I mean, he can strike out, and everybody's like, "Well, he's fifty, right?" So I guess it's kind of a lose so. lose win win. So there we go. There we, go. we got a net positive. <laughs> Therefore, it's, it's, they I should mean, institute this rule. Team. Exactly. We've got it all figured out. It's the varsity team scrimmaging the JV team. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically. Remember when you almost the, lost to us when you were on varsity and we were on or I was on JV. No. Oh, you I don't, don't really. Not, when no, the varsity no, coach no. was calling the the fouls, and we were up by like that's fourteen, right. and every call went your way. That's right. Uh, Funny how that went. Yeah. So we'll close with trivia before we get going. Um, we haven't had trivia in a while, so I wanted to get back into it. I actually have a trivia question for Peter on today's episode. I'll ask the question. We'll give Peter a little bit of time to think, and you all to to a little bit of time to think. But we didn't say it at the beginning of the episode, so I guess you guys don't have forty five minutes or an hour to think about it. Today's trivia question is how many Brewers have been selected to three straight All-Star games uh, before Corbin Burns? Burns was just selected to his third straight All-Star game uh, all as a Brewer. So um, not a player that, you know, came over to the Brewers after two straight and made one more. Three straight All-Star games with a Brewer before Corbin Burns. How many players have done it in Brewers franchise history? Racking the brains here of of possible guys. Of course, Yount was snubbed. I think he was like a three times, mm-hmm. two, two, three, three time, time all-star, all-star, only three time all-star in his career. So I'm, I'm going to rule him out. And uh, Molitor was probably not here long enough to have a three, three year all-star streak. I'm going to go with two. That is correct. How can you name right. the two though, who have done it? Josh Hader. That he's one of them. Yeah. We're, we're excluding 2020. There was no all-star game. So uh, he was 18, 19 and 21. Well, and 22, right? I think he was an all-star last year before he had those couple blow up yeah. outings. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Did Ryan Braun do it? Ryan Braun is the other correct answer. 08 through go. 12. He had five straight all-star appearances. There we go. I'm very pleasantly surprised. I'm <laughs> every time I get a trivia question right here. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised. Although this one I got it right. And I named. I, yeah, I'm that's more what I'm surprised about. about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Brewers didn't have a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, guys that would do that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So that helped narrow it down, I guess. like Once I could rule out Yount and Molitor, I was like, all right, I, I feel like I can be pretty confident that it's probably just Hater and Braun. Mm-hmm. Also, before we go, uh, you can this will count as my David. Do you have any, what, any other thoughts, David? There we go. There uh, we but go. I wanted to shout out for the uh, MLB draft. Uh, well, the Brewers took Brock Wilkins in the first round took Josh Noth, I think is how it's pronounced in the second round or, or in their, the sandwich round between the first and second. I already forgot who that they took a second baseman from uh, Nebraska, Omaha. I think Tyler, Hove, Mike, Hove, I, this is bad. I should know this, uh, but uh, I did know it. I, I tweeted about him earlier, uh, but also wanted to shout out a couple of my a couple of players that I played with that got drafted. Um, I said the one Ryan Lasko, Calvin Harris uh, from Ole Miss played a couple games together in the Northwoods. Uh, he, was, he was a pretty good player. Well, obviously, he was a pretty good player. Alberto Rios from Stanford, I played a couple times. He caught me a little bit. He's not a catcher anymore, but he caught me. And then one of my teammates, he's actually a local guy. I played with him at Sticks Academy over in Waukesha, Avery Owusu Asiadu. And he was playing for the Chinooks, actually, most recently. I just talked with him last week, and he got drafted by the Phillies in the ninth round. Uh, so congratulations to all of them, specifically to Avery. I know him the best, uh, but pretty cool. Always when when draft season comes around, uh, that's probably my my favorite part of the draft is seeing the players get drafted more so than than analyzing. Well, they should have taken this pick. Well, what about the extra five hundred thousand dollars of slot money with this? Well, if he passes his physical, uh, of course I know that goes into it, but I I do enjoy seeing all the players drafted, especially uh, when. When you have some personal connections to them, it's pretty cool uh, to see. So congratulations to those players and to all the draft picks uh, for this year's draft. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm still going to I'm still gonna ask for closing thoughts here because we have to do it. Home Run Derby is tonight, and uh, by the time we release this, the Home Run Derby will be completed. But your pick, David, for the 2023 Home Run Derby. I'm going with J-Rod tonight. I think Seattle, hometown, they seem to pull it off in the hometown 
uh, at least Harper did. I feel like Harper is not the only one who's done it, uh, but Harper Harper did it back in 18. Um, did Stanton win in 17? No, that was, I think, Judge. Hmm? I want to say there's some random guy, but those were the two best guys who won it. But I think J-Rod will take it home, hometown. Uh, he's got great raw power. I mean, a lot of good options, but I think J-Rod's going to going to win it tonight. Yeah, I, that was going to be my pick. But, of course, Pete Alonzo, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is there. Mookie Betts uh, is there as well. Um, so it'll be, like you said, we got some good names there. Uh, it should be a good time. I, I wish Otani would have done it. That would have been pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's never he did last year. He's never done it before, correct? No, he did. Oh, or he did two he did years ago. Year. Two years ago. That's right. In Colorado. That's right. There we go. So, David, there's your pick, uh, Julio Rodriguez and NL or AL for the All Star Game. Well, we got statistically we got to go AL because the Brewers never win All Star games, and I don't as the NL won. I don't think the NL's won in ten years. So we'll go. We'll go NL. We'll go NL. Buck the right. tradition. I, I got the I got the okay. NL too. Definitely, Michael Lorenzen curse on the AL. Um, I'm apparently have something personal with Michael Lorenzen, but <laughs> NL for the <laughs> NL for the uh, All Star game is uh, is my selection, and uh, of course Brewers will have Corbin Burns and Devin Williams representing them at the All Star break. They come back for a pretty important three game series against the Reds, one game back in the Central. Like I said. We'll be back with a, an update on the draft in our next episode. And uh, pretty soon we'll be getting to the trade deadline too. So there should be some draft trade deadline content and uh, rest of the season. Rest of the season's coming quick. And pretty soon we'll be in August and we'll get to the uh, to the kind of rundown, closing down of, uh, of the season. And who knows, a pennant chase or a division title. So we'll have it covered here, as always, at The Barrel Banter. You can find us on, on Twitter. On YouTube, uh, David Substack, pretty much everywhere on our podcasts. Appreciate you listening. And this is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, go Brewers.